Churchill. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. Again, it's good to have each and everybody in the house of God today. Amen. You're only a visitor once. Amen. Praise God. Amen. My wife and I are so glad to have our adopted granddaughter, Kayleen, with us today. Amen. Kayleen, we love you and appreciate you. Amen. Thank God. Sunday school teachers, I just feel led to tell you this. Uh, you know, so many times you think week to week, and uh, am I accomplishing anything? You know, years ago in, in Houston, Texas, a little eight-year-old girl atten attended Brother James Kilgore's church for the first time. <clears throat> when her mother found out what kind of church it was, she was forbidden to go back. But this little girl said, if God tarries till I'm the age where I can make my own choices, amen. One Sunday morning, an 18-year-old girl prayed through to the Holy Ghost, was baptized in Jesus' name. She shook Pastor Kilgore's hand and said, Brother Kilgore, you don't remember me? She said, uh, when I was an 8-year-old girl, 10 years ago, I attended this church one time. And my Sunday school class made such an impression on me. I told myself, one day I'll be back. So Sunday school teachers, your labor is not in vain. Amen. Our youngest daughter, Kimberly, received the Holy Ghost in her Sunday school class when she was seven, six, seven years old, five years old. Amen. Praise God. Well, this week is going to be a great week because somebody comes home. Amen. Praise God. <clears throat> When I was pastoring, Brother Gordon Parrish, our superintendent, was my pastor. As of June 1st, when we officially said we were attending Palmer Pentecostal Church, amen, Pastor Ron Herring became my pastor. I consider him to be the greatest pastor there is. Amen. A privilege and an honor to sit under his ministry. Amen. Praise God. Amen. If, and if you don't, you need to pray for your pastor every day. Sister Louise French was almost on her deathbed, and she took my hand, 92, 93 years old, and she kept saying, I, I don't know who's going to take my place. I don't know. Finally, I said, what do you mean, Sister French? She said, who's going to take my place to pray for you every day? Hallelujah. Amen. But, of course, one man can't do it on his own. Amen. And Pastor Herring has put together a tremendous team. Amen. And uh, they do a great work. <clears throat> I assisted Wayne Trout in Dover, Delaware for 13 years. And one of the greatest uh, <clears throat> things that was ever uh, said to me was by Brother Trout, and he said, I know beyond any shadow of a doubt, if I go away to preach a camp, if I go to a foreign country, if I go preach a revival, and Stuart Churchill is in charge, he said, I know that when I come back, there will be no damage done to my flock. I know that he stands behind me 100%. I have no fear whatsoever. Amen. The man that is coming to preach to us today, 
I, I, as far as I'm concerned, falls into the same category. Would you stand? We love the Playo family, Brother Clint Playo. We love you, appreciate you. Come preach the word of God to us today. You can be seated for a moment. Thank you. We are so blessed to have the Churchills with us. Amen. Really is quite an honor. I've got enough iPads and things up here. Praise the Lord. Anybody got some phones they want to throw up here? I heard, I know Pastor Church, you heard that all those evangelists sitting around the table and they got their iPhones when they first came out and they got their their beepers and their message centers and their little magic things and this and that. And Brother Cole <laughs> took out a garage door opener and put that down there. I, I'll never forget Brother Cole. He was he came to Alaska a couple times early on in my wife and I's starting to live for God. What a pleasure it was. Um, Amen. People got the Holy Ghost. He just was so much fun. So much fun. That's, it's, that's what convinced me, Brother Morgan, when I first came in the church. I had this preconceived idea that everyone was a stick in the mud and they didn't have any fun. But we have ceased to have fun since we began to live for God. We've had more fun just doing this and that, Brother Larry, we just have had a great time. And God being right in the middle of it. Hallelujah. Amen. It's so good to live for God. What a pleasure it is to be here. I'm so glad you determined today that you were going to get up and go to church. And you were going to just make this part of your day. You could have done any number of things and you didn't. And I'm thankful. So... Without further ado, I'd like to look to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, chapter number one. Praise God. Good to have visitors here and home folk, all alike. Somehow in all of this, while you're turning to Daniel, if not, you have the screen behind me. Brother Robbie already just kind of alluded to the fact that, you know what, if somehow if we leave this place, and he hasn't increased. And I haven't decreased. Then we've all failed miserably. Musicians, preachers, you yourself. If he hasn't increased. And I haven't decreased. Then I have really not done what I should be doing. John said he must increase but I must decrease. And so Daniel's recorded one and eight of Daniel. It says it like this. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Daniel purposed in his heart. The Amplified says it like this.
Daniel determined in his heart. You hear what that said? Daniel determined in his heart. With the help of the Lord, just for a short time, we have potluck afterwards. I want to I want to gather your attention to determined question mark. Determined. God of heaven, we love you and we praise you, Jesus. We thank you so much for what we feel in your house already, God. You've been so good to us and blessed us with your presence. I pray, God, every heart in this house, God, be stirred. God, start with me. Start with me, God. Start with me right here. I love you and I praise you. And someone say in Jesus' name. God bless you. You can be seated. Sister Dakota, you do whatever you need to turn me up or down. I'm going to do my best to keep this near my mouth, even though it's blowing my eardrums out with these monitors. Praise God. Often I have found, Pastor Churchill, that we mistakenly confuse determination with desperation. Desperate means to having lost all hope. Does anyone know what I talk about when I begin to say the word desperate? Anyone know what it's like to be desperate? To be without hope and be without, uh, uh, you know, any possibility of getting out of that situation. It involves extreme danger or disaster. And there's a great need of importance that's usually accompanied by serious anxiety. Talking about desperation. It takes extreme measures in attempt to escape or defeat the situation. I'm out of options. I'm willing to try anything. You heard anyone say that before? Witnessing to somebody at work, some family member, and they're in the midst of a desperate situation. And then it's just like, I'll try anything. If you just rub this on your tummy, whatever, I'll try it. You just pull on your left ear and jump on your right foot. I'll try it. I'm desperate. I'm out of options. Desperate is what Naaman was when he was diagnosed with leprosy. That's desperate. Desperate's what drove the widow woman with an issue of blood to the feet of Jesus. When all her money was gone and she was worse off from the treatment the doctors gave her. She was in desperate situation. Willing to crawl if necessary to get to the feet of Jesus. Desperate's what caused blind Bartimaeus to make a show of himself as he began to shout, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And others around him would try to calm him. They would try to shut him up. They were embarrassed by his behavior. Each of these and so many more. As you read your Bible, you find people that were in desperate situations. And so they got desperate. You hear what that said? People in desperate situations have a tendency to get desperate or die. They get desperate. So many more other examples. But I want you to know the serious seeker, the individual who really wants an answer, is going to find an answer when they're desperate. Yes, they are. He hears the cry of the hurting 
and the struggling and the depressed. He hears the, the tone of voice. I don't know. Maybe I can't tell the difference when you and I talk to one another. But God knows the difference. When you're of a desperate nature, when everything around you seems so bleak and hopeless, He knows when you're getting to the real crust of the matter. When you're not just giving Him lip service. When you're not just saying, oh yeah, patty cake here. But when you get desperate, when I get desperate, He hears that cry. He interrupts my life right then and there. Come on. Can I get somebody to say amen? When you were desperate, God came right in and ushered you right out of that situation. When your marriage was on the rocks, when your kids were strung out on drugs, come on, you got desperate. Your child's with a fever at the hospital and they're saying, I don't know what will stop it. We don't know what's wrong with him. You just begin to cry out like blind Bartimaeus. You just begin to crawl to the feet of Jesus like the woman with the issue of blood. Desperate. Desperate people don't care what others think. We'll say that again. If you were checking on your phone book there or your iPad, you might have been seeing what's for dinner tomorrow or tonight. I said desperate people. They don't care about what other people think. Desperate people could care less if they see, if someone sees them cry. Desperate people don't care what you think when they're at an altar and they got snot coming down their face and they got tears running down their cheeks and they're getting a hold of the horns of the altar. They don't care what you think. They don't care what you might say. It's my trouble. It's my situation. And it's greater than my concern of my opinion or your opinion of me. Well, you're just getting too emotional, Brother Plano. <laughs> you have no idea what I'm going through. You have no idea. So you just take your judgmental spirit and you just put it in your pocket. Come on. I would to God somebody would stop holding back. I would to God somebody would get excited that God cares about you. My trouble, it's my situation. You don't know what I'm going through, but God does. God knows, God does, He does. Somebody hear me today. When you get desperate, you get the attention of God. It's not whether or not you get my attention. Though, I want you to know something. When you get desperate with God, people take notice. Because there's a difference when you're at an altar and you're desperate. And when you're at an altar and you're just going through the motions. I just feel like I ought to give it a couple minutes. Pastor invited me to the altar and pray. But somebody comes up here and they begin to throw down their paraphernalia on the altar. They begin to rip out an earring out of their ear. And they begin to cry out, God, I'm a drug addict. I'm an alcoholic. Please, hear my cry, God. My situation is hopeless and I've got to have an answer. I don't know if I can make it till tomorrow. I really don't. I'll dip in the river, the Jordan River, dirty or not, seven times. I don't care. I'm desperate. 
You can make mud pies in my eyes. I don't care. I'm blind. Somebody hear me today. It's not over till it's over. You may have got the news from the doctor and you think that's it. That's the final word. It's not the final word. He's got the final word. He's got the final word. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You heard the doctor's prognosis. You've got cancer. We can't operate. You've got this. We can't fix it. You've got that. There's no hope. And all of a sudden, God comes on the scene. You hear what I said? God comes on the scene. He says, it's, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. Cancer be gone. I'm not done yet. You can remodel a roof and drop me right down in the middle of a gathering. I don't care. I'm the one that's got the, I've got the palsy. You ain't got the palsy. I do, and I need Jesus. Maybe to the farthest extremes. Let me lie in a tomb for days. I'm a sinner. But raise me up again into the newness of life. I said, I mean it. You have no idea what that may be like until you're the one that has that individual. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's just, it's just really bleak. You should just go ahead and say your goodbyes. You should just go ahead and make sure you make your amends because there's no hope for tomorrow at all. There's nothing we can do medically, and there's nothing we can do physically other than try to make somebody comfortable. And God comes and messes that all up. He messes it all up. He messes it all up. In a good way, I mean. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, desperate times. They demand desperate measures. Get desperate. Get serious. Get his attention. Get out of your box. How many times has pastor said that over the last couple of years? I would to God people would just put that box and not get back in that thing again. Uh, we all got our area of safety. We all got our little safety walls, our little protective area that we don't like to get out of our group. We don't like to get out of our comfort zone. But living for God says you've got to get out of that comfort zone. You've got to find a place where you're not so comfortable so God can do a miracle. But I've found, Pastor Churchill, over the years, for the most part, there are exceptions, I believe in it, that that, please don't underplay what I've just been talking about for 10 minutes. You've got to get desperate. But I have found the difference between desperation and determination is in a feeling when you're desperate and the emotions are all over you and you're crying out to God and God gets right in the middle of that and the miracle comes. We have a tendency to then revert back to our comfort zone. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Getting a couple of nods, couple of nods. 
The answer's come. Now it's time to get back into my comfort zone. I'm going to go back where I feel like I can keep things under control. When all the time God is saying, would you just let me be in control? Because your control got you in the box. Your hand on it kept you from getting a miracle. It's when I let go of it. That's when God got a hold of it. God said to Moses, what do you got in your hand? Well, I got a staff. He threw it down. As long as he had the staff in his hand, he felt comfort. But God provided a miracle when he got his hands empty. Holding on to too much stuff. Too much junk. So I found over the years that this desperate behavior can oftentimes lead to a miracle, which it should. But then also regression. I've got the attention of Almighty God. But I then turn and go back to the way things were before. Desperate. And a desperate behavior and desperation is absolutely necessary. There's a statement, I believe, I heard Brother Josh Herring say it once before, but I don't know who gets credit for it. But I don't believe it was him. He said, until the pain of remaining the same becomes greater than the pain of change, you will not change. Until the pain of remaining the same becomes greater than the pain of change, you will not change. I will not change. I'll be the same. I'll go back and revert to my old behavior, my old nature, my old ways. And I'll feel a goosebump for a while. And then next thing you know, I found myself where all of a sudden I become indifferent again. And I become cold. And, and sometimes I want you to know that desperate things come in our lives because we ignore the call of God. God speaking to us saying, won't you get a little closer? Won't you get a little closer? Won't your relationship be more in tune with me? And I say, not now, Lord. I'm busy. I know none of you ever said that before. In Genesis chapter 32, there's a story of well-known patriarch by the name of Jacob. He heard that his brother was on his way and he had many soldiers coming his direction. He had his wives and all of his children and they meant the world to him. And when he heard Esau was coming, remember the last time that he heard about Esau was pretty much when Esau, I'm going to paraphrase it, said, you're going to get it, buddy. What you did to me with the birthright with daddy and dressed up like me. And fool dad to think that you were me. I'm going to get even with you. I'm going to revenge that. Because that, you just can't do that and get away with it. And so Jacob is in his mind thinking all this time, Esau's going to revenge me. He's going to kill me. He's going to kill my family, my wives, and my children. But as you recognize the life of Jacob, there's a change taking place. From when he left mom and dad and he becomes a father. And he becomes a husband. And things are happening to Jacob. But God sees that it's necessary for Jacob.
to have a complete change. Anyone believe a complete change is necessary? And so here he is. Ooh, Esau is a bad dude. He's on his way. I tell you what, he divides the families up. You read the story, Genesis 32, and sends them all the way. And the Bible says in verse 24 that Jacob was left alone. Jacob said, this is not something my wife can help me with. This is not something my children can help me with. Somebody, I, I tell you what, I feel the Holy Ghost today. I really do. I feel the presence of God. There are some things we're depending on our spouses to do for us, men and women. There's some things we think that they've got to help us with when God's saying, I want you to be alone with me. I want you to find that place. Push everybody else away. Come find that place and begin to talk to me because I got some things to say. He's determined. I must change. He's desperate. Things have got to happen. God had already begun to stir in his life determination. But this desperation of this situation was going to cause his determination to skyrocket. He would become the patriarch that we know him to be today. Had he not found a place to wrestle, I don't believe he would be called the prince with God. We wouldn't have anything that we know today through the Scriptures. He's left alone and there he wrestled. In verse 26 he says, I will not let you go. We've wrestled for a while and I'm kind of tired, so how about we call it a draw? Somebody hear me. Draws don't get us anywhere in the kingdom of God. No stalemates. We're either going to win or we're going to lose. So we might as well give every effort to win this thing. Win this thing. Jacob is wrestling. Can you imagine that for just a second with me? One angel slew 185,000 Assyrians, and Jacob is wrestling with an angel. I'm kind of thinking you ought to pick on somebody your own size. I remember in wrestling in high school, I hated wrestling the guy that was my own weight category. He was only a state champion four years in a row and went on to be a collegiate champion. Kept pulling all my fingers out of joint every time we'd go for a takedown. He'd yip rack right out. So I wanted to wrestle the guy above him. He was heavier, but he wasn't nearly as mean. <laughs> Jacob's wrestling with an angel. He's saying, come on, man. I, I got to change. Somewhere in there, this, this process is taking place. All of a sudden, there's a stirring in Jacob's heart. I cannot leave this place the same way that I came. I've got to be changed. I can't be referred to as the surplanter or the deceiver or the one who tries to, to weasel his way in. It must change. 
Oh, the pain of change. Jacob would be touched at the hollow of his thigh and he would walk differently from that moment forward. I genuinely think, me at the front of the list, that we're afraid when we get in those close places and we begin to wrestle with God. What kind of change will he what kind of change will occur? How will this affect my life at work or affect my marriage or affect my walk with God? I promise you this. He'll change it for the better. Jacob was changed for the better from that moment on. Later on in his life, we find him where he's leaning on his staff because as his, in his old age, his hip's not quite the same. His eyesight's not quite the same. But as he's leaning on his staff, he's worshiping God. <laughs> Talking about a change. A change that's, that, that's good for you and it's good for me. No longer deceiver. No longer Jacob. He's told you'll be called Israel. You're a prince with God. His determination brought a mighty people. We call them the Israelites. His witness. Uh, come on, his witness is read about through the scriptures. Jacob was changing prior to this event. Things were happening. But God wanted to escalate it. Why don't we stop trying to determine how fast God works in our lives? Why don't we stop today? Why don't we confess? Why don't we just make up our minds? I'm going to stop trying to tell God that enough is enough. It's the same as we have talked about being on the potter's wheel where the clay says, good, all good. But we do that in the spiritual realm all the time. We say, God, I'm growing. I'm growing. He's going, yep, yep. But it could be faster. It could be multiplication instead of addition. You hear what I said, church? We don't have to keep carrying the same issues and same problems for 10 years from now or five years from now or even next week. If we make up our mind, I want to change God. I want to be different. But in our opening scripture of Daniel 1 and verse 8, we talk about how Daniel purposed, when he amplified how he determined in his heart. It's different. That's where it's described as Web, by Webster that to be firmly resolved. Hear what he said? Sometimes Webster, he's a pretty bright guy. He said it's to be firmly resolved. Resolved. It's having reached a decision or a stand prior to it even happening. Think about that for a second. There's a lot of people in church today, right now, outside this, in here and outside there, that are all saying, I'm waiting for the second coming. I'm waiting for that tribulation where it really gets rough. Then I'm going to live for God. 
Then I'm going to get rid of all of this and get rid of that. He's saying, hey, you got to get your mind made up now. you got to be determined now. You've got to know that now is the time to serve God. I've made up in my mind, even before I have to make the decision. Brother Bear used to say, Jesus settled it. That settles it. A lot of people go, Jesus said it. I believe it. That settles it. Brother Bear said, doesn't matter. You believe it or not. He said it. Settles it. Done deal. Determined. You betcha. Psalm 17.3 says that I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Think about that for a second. He says, I'm determined. I'm not going to say bad things. I'm determined. I'm not going to be a negative nilly. I'm not going to be a naysayer. I'm not going to be somebody that tears down. I want to be somebody that builds up. You say, oh, it just doesn't work like that. You don't know my family tree. I know Jesus, and that's all I need to know. I know Jesus. I know what he can do. He can tame the tongue. He can tame the tongue. Determined is what Daniel was, even when they changed his home address. Put him in captivity. Determined is what Daniel was, even when they changed his name to Belteshazzar, trying to change his identity. Why could they not like Daniel? That was a cool name. Listen, try being like a seven-year-old and spell Belteshazzar. What's the abbreviation? B. I don't know. Tried to change it. Even though they did all of this, they could not take away from Daniel his determination. He said, I'm a child of God. You can change my address and you can change my name, but I am still Daniel and I am a child of God. He made the very best of his situation without compromising. You hear what he said? He didn't compromise. Even under all of those situations, a lot of times we think because of here or there or some situation that I am now exempt. See, that's, that's a definition of character. I think somebody that's of right character, right nature, right attitude, even when nobody's looking. It's not just when you're in the pulpit. It's when you're on the job. It's when you're at the grocery store. It's when you're driving and someone cuts you off. It's when that clerk at the fast food restaurant's not so fast. You want to put her in her place or him in his place. Determination. He made the very best of his situation. It's here that I am convinced that his determination allowed him to pray when he heard there was a decree that was set against him. That if he was to pray, he'd be thrown to the lion's den. And yet he went right over there just like before time. And he opened up those windows. Lord, it's me, Daniel. I should be quiet. There's people there waiting for me to say something. No, Daniel prayed just like he prayed every day. It didn't allow that intimidation to stop him from being exactly what he was, a determined man of God.
And I believe that it's in these early parts of his life that he could stand there and take that. You preached about it, Brother Dave. Those three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they got other names too. Anybody remember them? No matter. Early on in their life, they said somewhere along the way, I'm going to live for God. And when it came time to bow down before Nebuchadnezzar, they said, you just don't understand, king. I can't do that. And so here they are standing up for what's right, and they get thrown in the fire. I like this. I, I really like it because when they get thrown in the fire, there's like the Son of God is in there in the midst with them. And Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den, and, and, he, and God just stops the mouth of the lions. That's what I'm convinced when people are determined, they've made up in their mind. O king, my God has stopped the mouths of the lion. O king, our God has delivered us from the fiery furnace. No muss, no fuss. God is able today, church. God is able today. Praise the Lord. He sent an angel in 620, and he himself walked in the furnace in Daniel chapter 3. <clears throat> Determinations is what causes you to shake yourself like David did when all of those around him said, you're the cause to all of our problems. You really have just been, it's, it's all you. And so they're going to stone David. And David just says with a determined heart, wait a second, wait a second. I'm not going to sit here and let you guys talk about stoning me. Either you're with me or not. If you're with me, let's go get them back. Let's go get what's ours. And he did. It's determination. Sister Playl, would you grab for me 2 Corinthians 11, verse 24. Determination is what Paul the Apostle wrote about. We talk about this as being the, the war story here. Listen how he, can, through, through 28, he goes, Five times I received 40 stripes, save one. Twice I was beaten with rods. Thrice I was beaten with rods and stoned. Thrice I was suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of water, and robbers, and, and my own countrymen, and heathen, and cities, and wilderness, and sea, and false brethren. In weariness, and painfulness, and watchings often, in hunger, and thirst, and fastings often, in cold, and nakedness. Besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. You think that the Apostle Paul was not determined? He was determined. Some of us are ready to leave church because the preacher didn't shake our hand. I'm, I'm not trying to make fun, but some are just like that. I, some people... They're so far from being determined to live for God that, that if they don't sing the right song during song service, just like, oh. He preached that same text once before. I remember back in 1967. No determination. Paul had determination. 
In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10, he said, For the sake of Christ, then am I content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecution and calamities. For when I am weak, then am I strong. That's it, church. It's when I stop doing it on my own and let God be God. Determination displays a consistent behavior. It may start with an emotional one where I say, I'm determined. I'm going to hold out to the end. Jesus is with me. On Him I can depend. I know I have salvation, for I feel it in my soul. I am determined to hold out to the end. It's not erratic. erratic. It's not knee-jerk. But it reflects a composure and a calmness, a control of their emotions. And it says, though everything else around me may be crumbling and falling, God's still in control. He's still got the helm. He's still going to make it all right. That's why Paul could say that on the, after 14 days of dark, darkness and, and the ships being tossed to and fro and things are being thrown out to lighten the load and things, oh, there goes the sail. There goes the rudder. And he still says, that's okay. It's going to be all right. It seems like everything's falling apart, but you, the Lord told me it's going to be all right. <laughs> I was in one of those situations. Some of you heard me tell this before. I'll just say it again. I was laying on a hospital bed with no one around. In one of those times where things were extremely anxiety and stress-filled. I'm watching as a doctor is on an x-ray. He's looking at where he's going to cut my hip and my pelvis away because of staph infection in the bone in my hip. And, and I just, just felt like if I could just talk to my pastor for a second. I just, I'm not really ready to hear this news yet. I just, I just can't. I called up Pastor Herring, but the church yelled. And he said, hey, bro. Pastor Herring said, don't say a word. God spoke to me and he told me to tell you. Everything is going to be all right. I didn't tell him a word. He did not know one thing that I was going through at that time. It didn't matter because God told him. It's going to be all right. Hold on to your faith. Stand tall. It's going to be all right. I don't care what the doctor says. I don't care what the x-ray looks like. I don't care about the lines and the graphs and the charts. It doesn't, t- it doesn't matter what, the, what the, the blood tests show. It was the next day when the doctor came in. He said, He said, I don't know what led me not to have operation on you last night. But I just felt like maybe we should wait a day. 
And he said, we just did some tests. And I cannot explain it. I can't explain it. But it's reversing. It's not medically possible. We're not going to cut your leg off. Oh, God. You can remain standing. I'm done. How can somebody like Aaron Ralston, a rock climber, not in the church, not with the Holy Ghost that I know of, of everything I've read about the man, fall in the Blue Mountain Canyon, in Blue Mountain Canyon, Utah, and get trapped between some boulders and his arm is trapped. Determined to live. Sister Amber, five days he tried to chip and whittle with his knife on a rock to get loose. And he said that on the fifth day when he did that, he actually accidentally stabbed his thumb. And he heard a hissing sound. And it didn't hurt. His arm was dying and decomposing. And he realized right then and there, I want to live. Yep. Oh, but what about my arm? And he went through a long, grueling, brutal, painful ordeal to get his arm off. You preach. You said something just stirred me. But everything, Brother Stacy, Brother Dave, thank you for Wednesday night. Yeah. I appreciate that. But if I could persuade somebody tonight, today, just persuade somebody. It's worth living for God. It's worth it. It's so worth it. Come on. You're going to get some bumps and bruises along the way. I told little James today, he got a big old gigantic nest egg on his forehead. Told him today, I said, that is a cool, that is such a cool scar. And he just kind of went, some of you got some, some scars. Some of you have been through some things. Some of you are going through some things right now. Don't give up. Come on. Get more determined than ever. Come on. Your marriage is worth it. Your kids are worth it. Would somebody like to come to the altars today and pray? Is there somebody not afraid of getting desperate that it wouldn't just be a passing emotion but that it would spark your determination that it would set fire to what's inside you right now I want to live for your God I'm going through some things God I am but you're the answer it's not more medicine. 
It has its place, but it's not more. It's more of you, Jesus. And it's less of me. Come on, you're trying to battle drugs on your own. You need God. You're trying to battle the depression without God. Come on. Come on, brother. Come on, sister. Can I persuade you to make a move to God today? Can I persuade you, young person, 